0: so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, on this second Sunday of Lent, the Church invites us to consider this mysterious and wonderful story of the transfiguration of the Lord. Jesus, like Moses before him, goes up the mountain, the place of sacred encounter takes with him Peter, James, and John, and then it says he was transfigured before them. His face became as dazzling as the sun, his clothes as radiant as light. Jesus begins to shine. This scene has captivated Christian theologians and poets and artists over the centuries. There's a terrific depiction of it if you go to Chartres Cathedral in France. It's on the stained-glass window on the façade. At a certain time of day when the sun is setting and it's shining right through that window, that particular scene of the Transfiguration just lights up, very much like the depiction in the Gospel. Teilhard de Chardin, the priest, scientist, theologian, took the Transfiguration as his favorite feast. The divine light shining through Christ Jesus. What does this event mean? And why does the Church ask us, especially during Lent, to consider it? Well, I suggest we look at St. Thomas Aquinas and his treatment of the Transfiguration. In the third part of his Summa Theologiae, Thomas gives an entire question over to the Transfiguration. And he sums up much of the wisdom of the Church Fathers on this score. So let's attend to Thomas' treatment, with some care. He first says this, It was fitting that Christ be manifested in all his glory, because those who are walking an arduous path need from time to time a clear sense of their goal. What's the arduous path? It's human life with all of its trials and all of its dangers and difficulties, failure and depression, the fear of death, sickness, the loss of friends, as we make our way through this life, we're going on an arduous journey. What's the goal of the journey? The beatific vision, the vision of God, the life of heaven, this transfigured and glorious state that God has designed for us. Therefore, says Aquinas, it is so important for us, at least from time to time, to get a glimpse of the end. The disciples have been walking this difficult path with the Lord, which will culminate in his crucifixion. What will give them the courage to go on? This glimpse that they got of heaven, this momentary breakthrough of the glory that was held out to them. Here's what Thomas concludes. Therefore, It was fitting that he should show his disciples the glory of his claritas, of his radiance, to which he will configure those who are his. A sense of the goal line. Mind you, we're not meant finally for this world, but we're meant for a transfigured existence beyond it. Is it just a fantasy? Just a childish wish? No, says our faith. No. It's the transcendent goal held out to all of us. That's why I would sum it up this way. One purpose of the transfiguration is to awaken our sense of wonder. Our sense of the amazement of the life being held out to us. The next thing Thomas Aquinas asks about is this claritas, this light. Why is light so emphasized in the transfiguration. Well, Thomas says that our resurrected bodies have distinctive qualities. One of them is claritas, radiance. Huh. Isn't it funny that across the centuries, across the cultures, people have often associated holiness with light. Just think of the fact that Very often in the depictions of the saints, we see halos around their heads, radiance, light. There's a great story. I was just reading a book about Mother Teresa. Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a British writer and filmmaker, went to Calcutta in 1969 to film the life and work of Mother Teresa. Prior to that, she was moderately well-known, but Muggeridge's movie made her known all over the world. He brought his film crew into her home for the dying and the destitute. It was a very dark interior. And his cameraman, who was a very experienced BBC cameraman, said to him, no, it's hopeless. There's no way we can, we can take any pictures in this dark place. Muggeridge said, film anyway, let's just see how it turns out. So the cameraman filmed in this very gloomy interior as Mother Teresa went about caring for the dying Well, then they went back to London, and they watched the film. And Muggeridge was amazed, because in this dark place, as the film was developed, as it showed up, there was this beautiful light that filled the place and seemed to follow the figure of Mother Teresa. Muggeridge said, you know, why not? Light is often associated with holiness. What we saw in that place was the radiance of God's life. And he said, miraculously, the camera seemed to pick it up. You know a story I told you, I think, a few years ago. It's a man I met out in California, now in his 70s. When he was a very young man, about 18 or 19, he was with the American army over in Italy, toward the very end of World War II. They'd heard about a holy man who lived just a few miles away from where the camp was. It was Padre Pio. So this man and a friend of his, also a young kid, walked to the church. They wanted to serve Padre Pio's mass. He said, as Padre Pio was elevating the host in the kind of darkened church, he saw around the host and around Padre Pio's hands a glow. Well, I was out in California giving a talk, and I think I would mentioned this theme, this association of holiness and light and he took me aside and he said, I've never told anybody this story before, but I saw light glowing around the hands of Padre Pio." Think of the Gothic churches. They open up these great spaces to let in the light because light was seen as a characteristic quality of God. So here in this great story of the Transfiguration Jesus becomes radiant He glows. He shines. Why have we made this association? Why does it seem so natural to us? I think one reason is light illumines things. We see more clearly. Holy people illumine the world. In their light, we see the truth of things more clearly. They're like beacons, like the city set on the hill that Jesus talked about. But you know, there's something else. Light is just beautiful. In fact, Aquinas said, the beautiful occurs at the intersection of three things. Wholeness, harmony, and radiance. That same word he uses, claritas, to describe the quality of the risen body. Radiance, light. Holiness is beautiful. Compelling. Alluring. And so Christ, in his transfiguration, allows the beauty of his life to show through, and it captivates the disciples. Next thing Aquinas asks about the witnesses. Why were there these five witnesses to the transfiguration? The five being Peter, James, and John, Jesus' disciples. But then, also in that magnificent detail, Moses and Elijah appear, and they bear witness to the transfiguration. Why these five? Thomas says this Christ's significance is such that it transcends space and time. Christ is for all times, for all space, all the nations. Moses and Elijah, these ancient figures from Israelite history, they stand for the whole past that Christ recapitulates and saves. Peter, James, and John stand for the present and for the future because through their preaching, Christ's message would go out to all the ages. Well, here they are, past, present, future, all gathered to witness this manifestation of Christ's glory. You know, at the liturgy, when we hold up the body and blood of Christ, we are calling together all of space and all of time. We call all the witnesses of the past. We anticipate all those who will come until the end of time. Christ and his power holds together past, present, and future. But we can be more specific, too. Why are these five particular figures. Moses, the law giver. Through Moses came the old law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah. Christ is the new Moses because Christ is the giver of the new law, the definitive law, the new covenant in his blood, as he says the night before he dies. He now gives us the ultimate pattern for life. That's why Moses is there, because Christ is the new Moses. How about Elijah? Elijah was seen by biblical Jews as the greatest of the prophets. He sums up the life and ministry of the prophet, which is what? To proclaim God's truth, to speak God's word. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Hosea, all the rest of them, they are speakers of the divine word. Who's Jesus? Not just a speaker of the divine word. He is the divine word. Therefore, he is the new and last Elijah, the greatest of the prophets who transcends the prophets. He is God's own word made flesh. How about Peter, James, and John? Why are they there to witness the transfiguration? Aquinas says, Peter is there because he's the one who loved the Lord the most. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter is the one who loves Christ above all. How do we have access to the glory of Jesus Christ? We have access through our love for him. Christianity is about falling in love with Jesus. Why is John there? Because he's the one that Christ loved the most, the beloved disciple. Love, again, is the route of access to glory. Why is James there? Because James was the first apostle to die a martyr's death out of love for Christ, even unto giving his own life. You want access to the divine glory? Love for Christ is the way. Isn't it beautiful now, as we move through Lent, that we see this great icon of the transfiguration. Light, illumination, a sense of the glory to come, that event which brings together all of space and time, that which we have access to through love. Keep that icon in your mind as we move now through these weeks of Lent. And God bless you.
0: I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708 449 6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.